Hello and welcome to the Data Busters podcast, the podcast for all things school data. Well, we were back and now we're back where we were again with schools closed to most pupils, but very much open and working hard to support every school child in the country with their education. And as schools have become used to the new normals, the January 2021 national lockdown is looking quite different to the first lockdown in March last year, when so many things all happened at once. This time, schools have hit the ground running, with remote learning being implemented overnight after the bizarre experience of opening for a single day after the festive break. But what does this mean for the use of data in schools now? And what do we know about the way students are coping with the second year of COVID-19? I'm Richard Selfridge, author of Data Busting for Schools, and joining me as always is Jamie Pembroke, Data Buster Extraordinaire, Insight Facilitator, and all-round data guru. So, Jamie, it's been a long time since we uh, managed to catch up with one of these when we were looking at learning loss in the autumn term and what was happening in, as the result of the March to September close down for most pupils. Obviously, things have moved on now, but looking back to the autumn term, um, it's, it was a strange experience, wasn't it? We, I mean, we obviously heard from different schools, but uh, what's your summary of, of where people had got to in the autumn term, do you think? I, I think they were starting to get back on their feet, weren't they? Um, it felt like that. You're going, oh, I like things are getting, are they going to be, is it, is it going to be all right? No. Um, yeah, exactly. I think, we could, I think towards the end, I think we could all see what was coming. But, I think um, we could. It was, it was interesting in school, certainly in my experience, we were in, you know, children were very grateful to be back in school. Yeah, yeah. Very grateful. And, you know, a, a lot of us in schools were certainly worried about whether the children would come back in and adapt. But actually, so many of the children just wanted to be in school. Yeah, and whilst yeah. we had some discussions about the issues to do with COVID-19 and so on, a lot of the time children just wanted to be safe and with their friends and just back to some kind of normality. Yeah, yeah. What was really amazing was I heard lots of head teachers saying the behaviour improved mm-hmm. because it was so, children were so grateful to be back in school. But they just they just they were like focused, concentrating. They just really enjoyed it. It's really nice being in school. And, um, and, I, and I suspect that there are a lot of children that are just absolutely gutted that this has happened. Totally understand why. Um, and that whole hoo-ha about, about opening up schools, like what ended up being a day. And then, <laughs> and then sending them quite home again was absolutely bonkers. Uh, yeah. Just get them in, mix, them, mix them, you know, thousands and thousands of children together for a day and send them home. Absolutely brilliant planning that. I mean, it's just beggar's belief. Can't believe it. it. Does, well, I don't know why I'm saying I can't believe it because you should believe anything these days. Absolutely anything. Well, exactly. Things which which were, uh, yeah would not have seemed um, would have seemed very unusual. Now you just yeah exactly. Particularly when it comes to education and particularly decisions that are being made. I mean, clearly pe- people are having to make decisions quickly and on the hoof. But yeah. you know, surely they should have been able to see what was going on. But I think looking back at the autumn term again, there was there's clearly a lot of work looking at um, you know to where the issues were. Uh, and I know that a lot of those people working in schools, you know, taking an overview of the information which they've got and the, get the data which they've gathered, were looking at, you know, where are the areas where where there may be some problems. One of the things which I'm definitely picking up on is um, the issues to do with children who are learning to read, particularly learning to decode, you know, in um, those children who missed quite a bit of phonics instruction, particularly, you know, year one children. Who were, who were not in school, you know, they came back in for a while and then they're back at home again now. And I think that's going to have a big impact as we move forward. And I, I know a lot of schools are working with that. Other yeah. areas of the curriculum, 
yeah, there are other, depending on context, obviously, there are, it seems that things like maths, reading comprehension in upper key stage two seems to be less of a concern. I think so. I mean, I think we talked about this last time and certainly it's just anecdotal. Mm. You're talking to um, mm. head teachers, uh, talking to staff, the school I'm a governor at, um, talking on Twitter uh, that last term, uh, th- when children came back the autumn term, uh, mm. all keen and eager, thinking, oh, is it going to be really, really bad? And actually, you know, often it, it, it wasn't as bad as they thought. You know, they assumed it yeah. was going to be like massive drop. I guess it depends on area. I guess it depends on the sort of the situation the school is in demographics and what have you. And no doubt we are going to see, and this is the big concern, we're going to see a, a big widening of that disadvantage gap coming out of this. Mm. Um, but, but lots of children will have spent a good deal of their time um, <laughs> during lockdown bored and uh and uh, but but, <laughs> yeah. but reading i guess you know there'll be yeah. a lot of children that will have read um, and my, I think my daughter that's... certainly did and i'm sure loads of children read a lot um as you 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 do when you've got you know not much else to do but um, i guess that some children would have read a lot and some children won't and that uh, is borne out when they come back into school and you go well actually you're you're fine it might even be you see an improvement that, that they've even mm. got better that their uh, their reading ability has improved and their comprehension has improved um mm. i think they were also saying that uh, writing has taken a bit of a hit <laughs> they've been mm-hmm. writing a lot they've been writing stories yep. and stuff so that's yep. um but i, I mm. think the biggest concern is that there's uh, some children will be fine some children will have carried on uh, learning and they would have been you know well taught at home i guess and mm. parents would have worked hard to try and keep on top of things and they'll, they'll yep. be fine but obviously yeah. that that is a massive challenge for parents it, it it's mm. it's a there's there's issues of of time and, and and their ability to support that i mean there's there's loads of parents up and down the country that go oh my god key stage two maths is hard key stage two <laughs> reading is yeah. english is hard and uh, and i think that's going to have been a, a shock i think that was the reflection again in the autumn term was because that first lockdown was such a shock to everybody and it was such a such a massive disruption and change to, um, to everything so some parents had been able to support their children some children had just got on with things others less so so in the autumn term there was quite a bit of taking stock which is a really good thing because it did um, in across the school system we've all had to think about well actually how do we support the children because mm. um, it's all about um, engagement um, and Attendance in school, but also kind of um, children as, the, as we went through the autumn term and bubbles began to burst and children were not in school, were they actually um, engaging with remote learning? Yeah. I think it's also been quite interesting, I say, moving on from there yeah. now that you know, we're back and having had to wash hands and cover our face and make some space, <laughs> we're now being asked to stay home again and protect the NHS and save lives again. Unless, of course, you work in a school, in which case things are a bit different. But anyway, let's talk about what we know about the situation in schools now. Uh, mm. And what this means for those people who are actually generating, collating, analysing data and what actually are they going to be um, looking at which arise from those analysis. So thinking about the moment, it, I think one of the key things at the moment is um, is attendance in schools yeah, yeah. Yeah, and engagement definitely. with the remote learning. Yeah, Because attendance in schools has been has been quite different in this lockdown, the third lockdown or second lockdown, depending how you look at it. But, the, but the, I'm going to call it third. Yeah. Um, attendance in schools is very different to the first lockdown. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, let's just have a look at uh, the figures that, that have just recently been published. I don't know if we, you, you, you've got that link as well. Yeah, I'll they're just, fascinating uh, because um, see if the, I can, the um... producers and um, figures, and this is, again, really useful data, and it, and it helps all of us to understand the situation. Obviously, you can tell in your own school, you know how many children you've got, but it's really um, interesting to see that bigger, wider picture. 
yeah. not just through um, yeah. your networks, but seeing what the DFE says. Absolutely. And they're saying that in the first lockdown, where we had you know, less than 5% of children in schools nationally, yeah. largely because you know, the, the, there were a lot of children in secondary who just weren't yeah. anywhere near school. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this time, very different picture. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So um, uh, what have we got? Uh, it, attendance on January the 13th in primary mm-hmm. schools, 21%. Um, and in secondary schools, 5%. So attendance is higher than in March to May 2020, um, Mm -hmm. where in primaries it was 4% and in secondaries it was 1%. So just looking at primaries, so so secondaries it's increased from 1% to 5%, but primary schools... And this is something we've we've seen, you know, multiple discussions about this on Twitter. And I think TeacherTap have possibly done some stuff on this. And it's obviously been reported in the yeah. papers as well. Uh, attendance mm. in primary schools, first lockdown, 4%. Current situation, 21%. You know, 21% is the across the you know, country. But some schools mm. are reporting way higher um, than that. And, and there are some schools where they've got more than 50% of their children in, even like significantly more than that in some cases. So uh, the school I'm a governor of, they have um, 420 is their capacity and they've got nearly half of those children in. It's about 190 or something. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, and, and that's not unusual. I think there's a lot of schools in, in that situation. Um, so yes. And my experience there as well is that attendance, attendance is much higher and attendance in, in, most schools are, even though they're officially closed to, to people's, but remote, we're in this remote learning situation. Um, uh, schools are, are at capacity in terms of the number of children which they feel that it's safe to have on the premises. Um, so talking to a number of schools, Absolutely. they've got, um, you know, they've got bubbles. Let's say you can have 15 children in the classroom, 12 children in the classroom. Um, and all of those places are taken. And there's a waiting list of parents who want their children to come into school, even though we've locked down schools so that we can um, try and reduce the uh, the transmission rates. But what that effectively means for schools is that there are a lot more children in school. And then that's also quite interesting as, as to what's actually happening within school, because obviously we've got remote learning outs happening outside of school. Um, and what's happening. And, and that picture is also very interesting when you look at um, the situation across the school sector, because, again, we've got lots of different new normals, haven't we? Well, yeah. I mean, one of the, the issues with this is that, that you, you, you might be trying to form bubbles and spread children out. And if you are trying to if you've got half of your children in, the chances are you're going to use all of your space hmm. because you're going to spread them out, which means you'll end up going to use possibly all of your staff to to. Um, you know, cater for these children that are in your school, which makes remote learning, um, uh, catering for, for those children at home, uh, difficult. And mm-hmm. uh, that's so you end up with like teachers uh, potentially having to uh, plan lessons for children in front of them um, and also develop resources and, and record lessons maybe for uh, and record videos and stuff for, for, for the children at home. Um, mm-hmm. So that's massively problematic and this is something that, that schools have uh, are, are really struggling with it's a, it's a huge challenge and of course then the mm. government changed the the guidelines on this quite recently didn't they about what they expect schools to provide and how many Absolutely. hours they expect schools to provide now yeah, it doesn't three have four to be, and five hours yeah, depending on yeah. how old you are Except on, on age. now it doesn't necessarily they have to be actual live lessons but if they're not live lessons you're still going to need to be recording some content that takes mm. time um and, you know, it's, there is such variation 
Um, I did that tw- uh, Twitter uh, poll recently, but in the light of the guidance change, that's all going to all change again. So people were saying, you need to run this again next week and the week after just to see how things change. Because at that point, it was 52% of schools were not um, offering any live lessons. But they, mm-hmm. they probably a lot of them were um, offering like recorded material. Mm. Um, and some of those actually got back in touch with me saying, well, we're not lo- offering live lessons, but we are offering like we're doing live registrations so hmm. and, and maybe an end of day catch up to you know just cover like questions and, and, and queries um but but uh, so about 52 percent were offering no live lessons and about 48 percent were offering some form of live lessons hmm. some were doing all there were a small percentage at that point a small percentage that would all of the lessons were live so hmm. i don't know how that's working if you've got children in front of you whether you're like you, you, you're and I think this is the case in some schools you've got children in front of you you're teaching them and you've got a, basically a webcam pointing at you so that's that's one way of doing it yeah, um, exactly and there's a number of different ways of doing things so um uh so for example the school where where I teach we we um you know we have issues with engagement as lots of schools do you're trying to engage the children and trying to reach all of the children so so we've actually put in place um uh, a phased rollout of different things which we're going to be doing with the children. So the first week we didn't have any live interaction with the children other than, you know, you could message an email, um, but just done by text. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the second week we've gone and now we've got um, group sessions where the children can interact via um, Teams or Zoom. Yeah. Um, and, and we've got a few other things which we're rolling out as we move forward. And I think a lot of schools are doing that because you, you kind of want it to adapt over the time of, of lockdown. Now, that's quite different to the last time that we had the, the first lockdown, where when we locked down, we were keeping things ticking over largely because we weren't quite sure how long things would last. Um, we had lots of issues with technology um, within school and also for children at home. So there was there was a, gr- a phased um, development this time, which there kind of wasn't last time, um, not so much. And I think that will be interesting to see in terms of what teachers and schools do um, as we move forward. The other thing, again, as you say, is that the schools are doing things very differently. So yeah. Um, one of the schools where I'm a governor is doing um, when the children are in school, they're being taught by the teacher and that lesson is being relayed to children at home yes. who can who can um, uh, dial into that. Right. Um, another one of the schools uh, is is not doing any live lessons at primary level, is but is, is creating content with uh, you can hear the teacher's voice. So you can see the teacher um, in primary in right. secondary. There's, there appears to be a great deal more yeah, live lessons absolutely, happening. Yeah. But then, of course, it's not a full timetable. And again, I, I remember in the first lockdown, a lot of um, parents that I know uh, were saying, well, some schools are able to do um, you know, six hours of live lessons, often independent schools. Why can't my children's um, school do that? I think they're beginning to realise now why you don't want to have four or five hours of Zoom lessons a day. Absolutely not. No, it's <laughs> but draining. Again, all of... All of this is about um, uh, just this new reality. And again, I think for school leaders, you're really having to try to think, OK, well, what information are we actually, what, what data do we need here? What do we need to gather? What do we need to collate, put together? What do we need to do some analysis? And what are we actually going to do? Because I think this is the interesting thing about, about trying to identify how you're using the information you can gather to direct your effort to actually support the children. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So um, we, we were talking about this a minute ago. I mean, so, so obviously, a lot of schools have uh, used um, standardised tests and they use them at the beginning of, um, um, quite successfully, at the beginning of uh, the autumn term um, and, mm. and at the end of the autumn term as well uh, to try and ascertain um, how much uh, you know, children have dropped back by or if mm-hmm. at all. So 
so schools, for example, you know, primary school, where you've got a year five um, cohort that have come back into school and they're using the end of year four tests. Um, mm-hmm. So they've got like an end of year four Puma test or an NFER test or whatever. So they're doing that. And that gave them uh, two things. One, it gave them an idea of like, you know, national kind of rank position. And it would give them an idea of whether they've fallen back significantly from their previous test, not just individually, but, you know, average out across the cohort, whether there's been a a drop. But it also gave them some ideas of um, gaps because you're you're testing them on the year four curriculum. um, And it will tell you whether those there are things there are big gaps in their their knowledge and their learning that you, you can address. So a lot of schools have made use of of that and then they at the end of the autumn term they've done a, a another standardized test to see if uh, things have improved um that's difficult now because uh, you've got some children in school and some children most children are not so uh, mm. i think that those schools that use online tests are in a in a you know good position a strong position exactly. yeah mm. so you know the schools mm. that are using things like the adaptive tests which are quicker yeah. um mm-hmm. and you know provide you with uh, standardized scores age standardized scores and other things like percentile rank and you know stenines and whatever but yeah, basically you want a standardized score uh, and and they, if children are at home then you, you could get them to do to do that yeah. and um that will feed in because well you know <laughs> over the last sort of two three months we're seeing things are starting to degrade so that's exactly and i think as with um all of the advice that um that i know that both of us were giving when we were talking to schools in the autumn term is to say you know you can use a standardized test you've got to recognize you know the 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 validity of the test is severely impacted by the fact that we don't have a test for the fourth week of the autumn term or whenever you chose to to, um, administer the test and you need to be very careful about the results that you're getting however they can be really useful for you to spot if there's anything that's changed, that, that's dramatic, that's changed. Certainly in the school where I work, it was really useful to run a couple of standardized tests and just get a sense that, okay, some of the children were not where we expected them to, to be. They weren't where they'd been previously. They yeah. either dropped or they moved up um, because of just the way which they'd, um, they'd been supported or been able to work um, during the lockdown period. So yeah. again, I think that's the same thing as we move forward into this term. If you're, if you're doing um, online testing and if you use those in schools, then you or it's likely that you can use those at home again with all the caveats that you need to be very careful about not making too many well, there's the whole issues the of like um conditions as well because exactly. you don't know that child could be sat at home and their parents could be helping them with it um, which is uh, which it wouldn't happen for those children yeah. who are in school where the test conditions are going to be probably a bit stricter where they're going to have you know they sit and yeah. do the test but they're not going to be helping yeah. each other certainly won't have the, their mum and dad mm-hmm. like leaning over their shoulder going oh no no that's a um yeah, you got that wrong. Um, so, exactly. yeah, that, that's that's an issue. Um, I think one, one of the things I'm, I, we were talking about this quite recently is that sort of different types of stand, not just adaptive tests, but there are like mm. um, most schools use serial tests, which one sort of builds on the other. So the autumn term, the, the spring term adds a bit more and it, it, it becomes mm-hmm. more more complicated or, or harder um, because a child then has like learnt more stuff. Um, so it reflects the sort of the building of the curriculum. Um, mm. But, but actually, I wonder if uh, I don't know many schools that do these. I think that Senko's probably make better use of these or more use of these than the, the, the parallel tests. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, that would be really interesting to uh, I don't know if any schools out there do get in touch with you, like use parallel tests where the, the, you, they're not designed to be taken at a single point in time, particular point <laughs> in time. You can use them whenever you like, pretty much. They are designed for a particular age. 
I think. Um, yep. But you can use them pretty much. And you, you could use them at the start and the end of, for example, an intervention or, or a, a phase of a period of support where you, you, you put some strategy in place to try and help uh, a child or a group of children. Mm-hmm. So you can test them at the beginning and the end. And it could be four months, uh, four, four weeks apart or four months apart. It doesn't really mm-hmm. matter. What you're trying to see is if there's been improvement. The tests at either end are actually yeah. comparable in difficulty, aren't they? They've got different mm-hmm. questions, but they're pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. And that would have been uh, quite interesting. I don't know if anyone's... Yeah, and that's, I think it's, it is an interesting um, distinction between those serial tests and the parallel tests. And the yeah. way it's the, I mean, again... I, I, my understanding is that a lot of the serial tests are there because schools have often, they want to see tests which they feel are aligned to their curriculum. Well, and you can right. see that in a, a, serialized te- serial, a, a serial test. But uh, the issue with that often is that, um, that it, you can't compare too well across tests. Um, there, are, you know, there are issues there because it depends on whether the children cover the curriculum and so on. In the moment, for example, where children haven't covered the yeah. curriculum, a parallel test where, where it's just it's looking at a more general awareness within the subject area yeah. Yeah. Um, may be useful. Yeah. Well, yeah. Again, it will be interesting to see um, what people are doing. I say particularly because this current lockdown, we don't know how long it's going to go on. But, you know, there are various estimates that it may go on. You know, half term seems to be the yeah, earliest possible unlocking, but it looks more like yeah. Easter and it may be after that. So, again, I think schools are thinking about mm. this as moving forward, you know, that, 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 that what they offer and what they do is going to change. And you can see that well, a lot of people might consider looking at some of the adaptive tests. It, you put assessments in place all the time and you mm. want to make sure that children have understood what you've taught them and then over longer and longer terms that they've recalled they can remember and recall those things you know we, we do mm-hmm. that um we, we we put tests in place to to uh, evaluate which is talking about those parallel tests that's an effective way of doing that um evaluate the um the effectiveness of uh, an intervention strategy you know so we're kind of doing that now we want to see if our online offer the remote learning is effective if there is a growing gap between those children that are at home, who are a group of children now, and those children who are in school, you know, that in your tracking system, you want to, uh, you know, schools have their tracking systems, and their spreadsheets, and their MI systems. You want to um, set those up as, as groups um, and you want to have, be able to compare uh, those, those groups. Another thing I think would be interesting is, you know, teacher assessment is a vital component, probably the most important um, component here, uh, because obviously a test is a result on a particular day and children have bad days. And a teacher's assessment is a much more rounded assessment um, based on you know, greater intelligence about that child. But we know that bias is an issue um, and it would be quite interesting to be able to compare, uh, particularly now, um, teacher assessments against the outcomes of standardised tests. Yeah. Uh, to see if there is um, to bias either way, you know, if there is sort of. Uh, so um, I, I think one, one we, we, we mentioned this earlier that you, you, you could, or, and I think schools did this, they, they assumed that children may have fallen back further than they actually did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you could, as a human being, assume that to be the case, uh, assess children as being lower than they actually are. It's possible. Mm-hmm. And maybe that comparing to uh, standardized tests might you know, mm. reveal some interesting gaps. Exactly, between... and I think this is going to be one of the the, the questions that people are going to be um, ta- um, tackling this during this lockdown period is is how we assess the children when when you don't have them in school as we move forward, and you know how how do we make those assessments? You know, what information do we, would we want to gather um, and look at, and what would you do with it? 
Because um, I think one of the other things that people are definitely beginning to think at the moment is um, one of the biggest issues is, as I say, about attendance and engagement um, uh, and just thinking about how that's in influencing what we're doing at the moment. And I think um, if you're a school leader, you really want to be thinking <coughs> about um, how you're actually recording this information, because there's quite a lot of inf more information that's being held at the moment. It seems to me from talking to people and from my experience in school that we almost have three groups at the moment. We've got the children who, who are doing the work that they're being asked to do. Yeah. Um, particularly in primary, you know, if the work has been offered, they're, they're getting on with that work. We yeah. may be having to chase them up on it a little bit, but they're kind of doing that work. Yeah. So yeah. that's the kind of the middle main group. You've got another group who are actively engaging with um, you as a teacher or as a school. They're contacting you either yes. because they want to themselves or their parents are contacting you. So you've got yeah. that very engaged group. And then you've got the group who aren't really engaging at all and yeah. are hard to engage. Um, and I think thinking about it in terms of those three groups in these, this first phase um, and really beginning to see where the challenge is, because the challenge is likely to be ensuring that all of the children are actually engaging and at least in that middle yes. group, because yeah. it's those children that, who aren't engaging or, uh, you know, and then I'm sure that settings will then the actions then are, well, why aren't they engaging? What are you doing? One of the schools where I'm a governor, which is in a very deprived area, they've done huge amounts of work delivering work packs, mm. arranging technology, yeah. arranging SIM cards so that children can use mobile phones to access lessons, yeah. you know, providing all those things. And I know loads of schools are doing that, but that's the thing, really focusing on, on that group. So once we've got everybody in the middle, so at least they're engaging or they're in the top end where they're very involved, then we can really start to, to actually assess whether they're actually engaging in deep learning. Yeah. and whether they're actually developing their knowledge. So yeah. I think that's the key at the moment is, is just kind of identifying your challenge and it's moving on from, oh, we do the assessments in maths, we do the assessments in English, we do this. It's actually at the moment, I think it's an engagement model I, and I, then we're really yeah. going to get into learning. Well, one of the things that excited me last year was um, the, 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 the publication of the engagement model, which relates yeah. to you know, children with profound and multiple special educational needs, the lowest mm. attaining children, and it replaces, it was due actually this year, but this year, it's it's a transition year now. It's, it's, it's been decided, like everything else, um, <laughs> yeah. that, that it will replace the remaining P scales because we still have P P one to four in place for children. There are aims to assess children who are uh, not engaged in subject specific study. Um, we do, so, don't we? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So um, so uh, they brought out this engagement model, and I was reading through it and thinking, this isn't just for. At the time when I read it, I thought this isn't just for children. Uh, relevant to children at, 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 you know, with special mm. educational needs and uh, very low levels of attainment. This is relevant to all children. And I think that that's now more the case than, than ever, that yeah. we can apply that, um, mm. that we do want attainment information and we yeah. need to be able to track gaps in mm. learning. And we need to be able to track gaps, not just in an individual child's learning, but between groups of children. Mm. Um, but we also need to be able to um, assess and, and, and monitor engagement as well. And look at the two things as a whole. Um, I think that's, yeah, I agree. Exactly. I think, I think that's really important. Exactly. I know that schools are in all kinds of different places, and we'd love to hear from you as to what your experience is. If you want to get in touch with me or with uh, with Jamie, you can get in touch yeah. with us um, via Twitter or contact us through Anchor, which is the um, program which we use um, to record these podcasts. But let us know. But again, at the moment, I say it's a, it's a new world again. We're back into lockdown, but people have hit the ground running. And again, it's just thinking about well, what are we actually collecting information for um, and what we're going to do with that. And if you're collecting if, information which you're not going to do very much with, you're probably worth focusing your efforts on just thinking, you know, who's actually engaging? Where do we need to put our effort? But again, let us know. It'll be interesting to hear where everybody is.
So there you have it. I hope you found that discussion useful. The Data Busters podcast is published monthly during the academic year, at least in theory, and it's available on all good podcast outlets. If you like what we're doing, please do recommend us to others. Uh, and if you've got any questions, feel free to send in a voice recording or to contact us on Twitter, either me at Data Busting or Jamie at Jay Pembroke. So, Jamie, I hope that you're keeping busy during this uh, slightly crazy time. Yeah, yeah. Um, interesting. Here I am, sat at home. My daughter in the other room, my eldest daughter up in the loft, you know, back for a, how long, who knows, from university. It's, exactly, I'm it's bonkers. I've got two children, they're both at home, home learning, and there's various lessons on. I'm, I keep um, walking past doors which have silent Zoom lesson in progress, exactly. Wow. But, exactly, and that'll be the repeated around the country, I suspect. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it's, uh, I, I said, um, said recently to, to someone that, uh, I, I feel for my daughter, daughters, but particularly my youngest daughter. But, you know, she's getting on with it. She's working really hard. Um, I, I think at worst, you know, she's safe and she's well and she's getting on with her work. At worst, she's bored. You know, there are long periods of boredom. Boredom's not so bad. You know, it, things could be worse. And I think this is something that we're going to talk about um, is the impact it's having on, on children's mental health is something that we do want to. It's yeah, definitely something which we definitely want to return yeah, yeah, to, yeah. exactly, because it's having such an impact on everybody's mental health, but children in particular. Yeah, absolutely. So, there we are. Until next time, everybody, we hope our discussions have helped you to decide what to do now. Best of luck, and keep data busting.